morning. Yes, yes, <clears throat> excuse me, yesterday as I was spending time watching my mom, I do that uh, twice a week, I get a message on my phone, didn't pay much attention to it, it came through about 4.45 and about 6 o'clock I looked at, <laughs> looked at it and said, so Ken, can you preach for me tomorrow? I thought, whoa, <clears throat> do you have anything? I, I, have, I have things, yes. So 2023 has started out kind of interestingly, hasn't it? We ended with a major snowstorm. And then we kind of move into the year and we've had, what have we had? We've had no sun. Uh, We've had this critical uh, injury on a football field that just captivated the nation as this young man was literally brought back to life. We've had ongoing war in Ukraine that continues on. We've had these interesting discussions in the House of Representatives that finally end at one in the morning with a speaker being selected. For some of you, I'm sure you enter into 2023 and maybe sometimes there's significant decisions that you're making with regard to where you live, what you do, education, maybe a job, maybe a new relationship that you're entering into. So this year could be a year of significant decisions and significant questions that you're beginning to answer. When we look at the New Testament, there's probably one question that stands above every other question. One question that is most significant for all of us to answer. And we need to answer that. We are confronted with that question regularly. And that question is this. Who do men say that I am? Or more importantly, who do you? Who do you say that I am? The answer to that question is a game changer for everybody. It's significant for everybody. Because the individual who asks that question, Jesus of Nazareth, demands that of everybody throughout history. And the answer to that question changes your life. Changes your life. What I would like to do today is actually go through an entire gospel. I'd like to go through the gospel of Mark, and I'd like to show you, as he presents himself to people, how do people respond? What are the results of people's response to that question of who this man is? Why do I say that? Because for many of us, we've answered that question. We know who He is. We can list it. We can say He's Jesus, He's Christ, He's Lord, He's Savior, or whatever. And yet, I do believe this man is so massive, this person is so special, this person is so amazing, that for us to renew again, again, and again, and again, who He is, is so very, very important to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity this morning to look into the Gospel of Mark, and we pray, Father, that as we do, we would be renewed in our view as to who Jesus is, what he can do, what he did, what he can do for us, and what he is worthy of from us. We pray that you would guide us as we read, guide us as we study, guide us as we learn. Give us eyes of faith, uh, a heart that wants to obey. We pray in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. So if you have the, your Bible, uh, I looked at the Pew Bible, it's page 836 in that Bible if you don't have one. Turn to the Gospel of Mark. We're not going to look at every verse, obviously. <clears throat> 16, 16 chapters would take me a long time to read. But there are a lot of verses that specifically show for us how various people, the disciples, the crowds, the religious authorities, the soldiers 
what they thought of who Jesus is. And I think Mark puts those into this gospel because every single gospel writer is focused on two things and two things alone all the time. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And what does it mean to follow this person? Those two issues, Christology and discipleship, that's the whole function of a gospel, whether it be Matthew, whether it be Mark, Luke, or John. And for Mark, his major focus is to show to us who Christ is, that he is both the Son of Man as well as the suffering servant of Isaiah. And he puts those two together. Puts those two together because rarely did people do that then. And that's why Jesus was so unique, and that's why people struggled to categorize him well and to understand who he was. Let's start with Mark 1.1. Good place to start. First verse of the first chapter. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. All of those things are true for us, right? We know those things, but let's review what they are. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? He is the one who is the Savior. His name comes from the Hebrew word for Joshua or Hosea, or Isaiah. Yahweh saves. Jesus is the Savior. He is Christ. He is the Anointed One. He is the expected King of Israel. He is the Promised One who will come and reign from the throne in Jerusalem. He still awaits that time where He will do that. He is the Son of God. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is the one who relates to God as my Father. We don't say that. We say our Father. He says my Father. This intimate relationship from eternity between the Father and the Son so that the Son obeys the Father as the Father sends the Son. That's who Jesus is. The obedient, the obedient Son of God. And what is this thing that we know about Jesus? It is the gospel. It is the gospel of or the gospel about the good news about this triumphant, victorious king named Jesus Christ. That's what we believe. That's what transforms our lives. That's the message that we put out. That's the message that we share. It's all about Jesus. It's all about who he is. It's all about what he did. And it's all about what he can do for people. This man transforms history. And so our response to him is so critical and so key. Chapter 1, verse 22. They were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Verse 27. They were all amazed, so that they debated among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Please note, they are impressed with what he says. They are impressed with how he says it. A new teaching with authority. He doesn't say, according to this rabbi, according to this rabbi, according to this rabbi. He says, I say to you. Their first impression, just like for all of us, all of us who would say, man, the dude can preach the, bird out of the birds out of the trees. What a great communicator. The first impression. But notice what it is. It's not, wow. It's, oh man, who 
is this guy? Absolute, total amazement. Amazement at what he says and how he says it. This teacher who teaches with authority. Chapter 1, verse 34. Notice what this individual does. He healed many who were ill with various diseases, and he cast out many demons, and he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. He didn't want their testimony to be out there in the public record. The demons say he's the Son of God. He has command, he controls the evil spirits. He does not allow evil spirits to speak. When he says, silent, they close their mouths. That's who Jesus is. That's who Jesus is. That's the one that we proclaim in the gospel. He commands and has authority over evil spirits. Chapter 2. Verses 9, 10, and 11. Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk. So one of those things is unseen. Right? Your sins are forgiven. No one can know if that's true. It's an unseen thing. But please notice, he has said that already to the paralytic. Your sins are forgiven. And they said, whoa! Only God can do that. After all, the paralytic had not sinned against Jesus. Jesus is offering forgiveness to someone who didn't sin against him. Only God can do that. So which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to a paralytic who cannot walk arise and walk because only God can do both. But just so you can know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I have authority in that arena. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And of course, what happens? He does. This Jesus that we proclaim, this Jesus who is the subject of the gospel, this Jesus has authority over sickness. He can simply say to a blind man, say to a paralytic, Say to someone who is deaf, say to someone who is dead, arise and walk. And they do it. But if he has authority over that, since only God has that authority, he also has the authority to forgive our sins and to forgive the sins of the paralytic. That's this Jesus. That's this Jesus. So as we think and remember and answer the question, who am I? We are to remember authority over demons, authority over sickness, authority over sin. Pretty amazing. Let's keep going. Chapter 2, verse 28. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Oh my. He is Lord of the Sabbath. Who is the one who created the Sabbath? Who is the one who gave the Sabbath meaning? Who is the one who put the Sabbath in the law? Who is the one who prescribed what happens on the Sabbath? 
God, Yahweh, did that. The Son of Man, Jesus, is Lord of the Sabbath. He can heal on the Sabbath. He can do on the Sabbath. And as he says in John chapter 5, talking about the Sabbath, my Father is at work and so am I. And everybody at the time said, whoa, you just, broke, you just said that you were equal to the Father. That's right. That's right. Lord of the Sabbath. I can't begin to tell you. I can't begin to show you as I read this. If we could just enter back into that and be in that place and see this happening. That's my goal today is for all of us not to see this as we always have but to have a new wonder and a new awe of who this Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath chapter 3 verse 21 it didn't always go well not everybody responded with faith not everybody responded positively chapter 3 verse 21 when his own people his own family, his own kinsmen heard of this. Crowds gathering and all the things that he's doing. Notice what he says. They went out to take custody of him. They're going to arrest him. They're going to pull him out of the public eye. Why? Notice what they said. For they were saying, he has lost his senses. We know who he is. We're his relatives. He has gone insane. How can he say these things? How can he do these things? One of the key things I want you to see, I want you to remember, I want it to sink deep into our hearts. People do not have small responses to Jesus. People have big responses to Jesus. Rightfully so. You can't just sort of put him off on the side because he demands much more. And so for all of us and everybody in the world to simply say, yeah, yeah, I'll deal with that later. You can't. The family looked at this and said, he is insane. Let's pull him aside so that it doesn't bring shame upon our family. No small response, big response to who Jesus is. Chapter 4, verse 41. Chapter 4, verse 41. Notice what he has just done. He calmed the storm. They became, notice what it says, very much afraid. These are his disciples. That's what we tend to think, don't we? The apostles and disciples know who he is perfectly, have perfect response to him, very much afraid. Very much afraid. I think you would be too. I would be too. Put yourself in the middle of Lake Michigan, a storm all around you, waves crashing everywhere, you think you're going to die, and a person in the boat stands up and says, be still. And all of Lake Michigan becomes perfectly calm. Would you say, wow, that's cool? I doubt it. Very much afraid. Why? They ask the proper question. Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? In the Old Testament, 
Who does the wind and the sea obey? Only God. Who is this? How can this be? 513. 513. Verse 12, the demons implored him, saying, Send us into the swine so that we may enter them. And Jesus gave them permission. We've already seen. He silences the demons. Now the demons have to ask him something. And he gives them permission to obey him. The demons obey Christ. Christ has authority over evil spirits. And they go into the swine and die. 542. 542. One of the people that Jesus raised from the dead, verse 41, taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translated from Aramaic means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk. Mark adds this very nice compliment, for she was 12 years old. And notice what it says. And immediately they were completely astounded. That word astound is the same word in 321 where the relatives said he's insane. So that word obviously has a range of meaning. These people were astounded, astounded. The Greek repeats it twice. Completely amazed. The disciples have seen him calm a storm and they were fearful. Now people have seen him just simply take someone by the hand. A dead body. Uh, My wife lost her mother two weeks ago. And standing there next to the coffin and watching my wife hold her mother's hand and talking to her, and realizing she didn't get up. Jesus took her by the hand and said, Arise, little girl. And she gets up, and she begins to walk around. And you can imagine, Oh, my word! How can this be? Still, still, Not everybody is positive. Chapter 6, verse 3. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? All of those in the original language expect a yes answer. This is Jesus. We know who this is. We know exactly who this is. And notice what it says. And they took offense at him. The Greek word for scandalized. There's just no way we're going to... Notice what I said. No small response. Big response. Big response. Uh Uh-uh. We know exactly who this is. It just can't be. We're offended at this. We're going to walk away. We're going to walk away. He's not going to have anything to do with us. We're going to have nothing to do with him. 651 and 52. Chapter 6, verse 51 and 52. He had said in verse 50, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. That word, it is I, is the same 
Greek phrase that is used in Exodus 3.14 when Yahweh says, I am. So Jesus right here is making a strong pitch and a strong claim. I am. I am. Do not be afraid. 51. He got into the boat with them. And notice what it says. The wind stopped. They've seen this once before. He's done it for them once before. He steps into the boat, the wind stops, and still, verse 51, they were utterly astonished. Remember I said it before. Astonished, astonished. Two times repeating it, both as a verb as an adjective. This is just amazing to them because of who he is. Seeing Jesus as big and powerful and able still causes them to be utterly astounded. Why? Verse 52. They had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves. Their heart was hardened. Their mind was stubborn. Their heart was unwilling to believe. Their heart was unwilling to submit at this time. The disciples struggled throughout the Gospel of Mark to put Jesus in a right category, to understand fully who He is. They are constantly failing over and over again. Let's not criticize them. Let's not say, man, where was your faith, guys? Because all of us, when we sort of put Jesus, He becomes familiar, doesn't He? We've believed him for how many years? We've loved him for how many years? And Jesus, as we think about it, he just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. We see him on Sunday, hear about him on Sunday, maybe read our Bible every once in a while. Oh, yeah, yeah. See him on cover of Time magazine around Christmas. Oh, yeah, that's Jesus. That's exactly what I'm saying we shouldn't do. Exactly what I'm preaching about today. No small response. I want a Big response. Seven thirty-six and thirty-seven. Seven thirty-six and thirty-seven. So he has healed another person. His tongue is now speaking. He began to speak plainly. Verse thirty-six. He gave them orders not to tell anyone. But the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. And they were again, please notice, utterly astonished, saying, he has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Across from these miracles, across from these types of things, these people are utterly amazed, utterly astounded, utterly astonished, completely dumbfounded. Now, it'd be easy for us to say, wouldn't it? I'm sure all of you are thinking here. At least it's crossed your mind once as I've preached. Yeah, put me in that situation like that. I would love to see that. Then I'd have a big response for Jesus. And that's exactly what he says in John chapter 20, right? When Thomas comes up and he says, my Lord and my God, he said, because you've seen me, you say that. How blessed are the people who have not seen and still, what? Believe. Believe. 
That's what these texts are for. That's what this sermon is about. To renew our faith, to make our faith big, to make this faith concrete, to make the view of Jesus big. Let's move near the end of the chap- end of Mark, chapter 14, please. Chapter 14, verse 62. 61. He's speaking with the high priest. He kept silent and did not answer. Again, the high priest was questioning him and saying to him, Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you the King that we are expecting? Are you the Son of the Blessed One? And we often say to ourselves, Jesus never said he was. Jesus never answered that well. Well, look at verse 62. I am. I am. What does that recall again? Again, it takes us all the way back to Exodus 3.14. He is I am. He is Yahweh. Right before the high priest, I am and. You shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. I will fulfill Daniel 7. I'm that Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven from heaven down to earth. From the throne of God down to earth. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of Man. I am God. And as he give a faithful response, he tears his clothes, and what does he say? He is blaspheming. No, he's not. He is speaking the utter truth that they didn't understand. And they had a big response. What did they do? They killed him. They killed him. Chapter 15, verse 39. Chapter 15, verse 39. The first time in this book, where an unbeliever says something positive, says something truthful. And where is it? At the crucifixion, when Jesus is dying or dead, when his Messiahship is finally clear, as clear as a bell, the centurion, standing right in front of him. How many times do you think that centurion has done, had done crucifixions? Hundreds. He had seen it all over the place. Hundreds of people had died. This man's death was different. And what does he say? Truly, this man was the Son of God, and that takes us all the way back to 1-1. You've now made a, a frame for the gospel. A frame for the gospel. Mark says it's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The centurion says... Truly this man was the Son of God. So when we think of Jesus and we think of all the things we can say, He is what? He is Jesus. He is Christ. He is the Son of God. He's the Son of Man. The Son of David. He is Lord. He is Master. I want you to say this. Jesus is awesome. He is amazing. He is astounding. I want your, your response to him to go from here to here to here to here to big. We are coming to church today to worship him. I want you to be in the same camp as Paul, who when he was confronted with Jesus, 
life was transformed such that he could say in Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ. I want you to know, I want you to recognize, for you who have trusted in Jesus, he is worthy of your love. He is worthy of your trust. He is worthy of your obedience. He is worthy for you to take up your cross and follow him, to deny yourself, to say no to the world. He is worthy of your obedience. When Christ says to you, be thankful always, pray always, rejoice always, you say to yourself, yes, Lord. When Jesus says, go into the world and proclaim this message about me, be so overjoyed and so overwhelmed about how big I am. As you pray and ask, Lord, give me open doors, and the open door comes, you don't say, ah. You say, yes, Lord, thank you. A chance to talk about my big Jesus. And if people are offended, and if people say you're insane, you can say, well, that happened during his time too. Jesus is awesome. Jesus is awesome. May your response not be small anymore. May your response every day as you wake up and say, thank you, Lord, for another day to live and walk with you. To live and obey and love and trust in you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for how great Jesus is, how awesome it is to follow this one, to carry our cross, to love and to worship and to believe and to trust. To know that in Him are all your promises, yes and amen. To know that He one day will be the King who will sit on the throne. To know that He right now is seated at your right hand, interceding for us as our high priest. To know that His death and resurrection cleanses us from all of our sin and makes us right in your eyes and makes us holy in your presence. Lord, what a unbelievable, astounding, amazing person Jesus is. Help us, Lord, to understand that. Help us to be like John who knew him intimately, but when he saw him in Revelation 1 and Revelation 4 and 5, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb, he bowed in worship. Give us that same attitude, that same love. We pray in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen.